Hey, this is Dewey from Pure Pleasure on Jabberjaw Media. I wanted to tell you guys about the Patreon for the show. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Club, and there's two levels. There's the $5 level and the $10 level. And all this is, guys, is to help support the show, help support the cost of putting the show out, um, you know, time spent uh, building the show, hosting costs, travel costs to do the in-person interviews that you guys like so much. Um, it all costs money. And I always try to find the best deal for sure uh, because I do have a day job as well. But having that support on the Patreon is definitely going to help bring more in-person interviews, more travel, more uh, updated uh, graphics, hosting, websites, all that stuff. So, um, And if you like the show, $5 a month or $10 a month really helps out. I know it's kind of uh, an interesting thing with the Patreon when something's already free. Uh, but it is always going to be free. But if you want to support the show a little bit more, I'd absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can pay either $5 or $10 a month. We'll try to do some special things for the patrons as well as we go. Um, but it's just a way to support the show in a different way. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. That's the most important thing I can ask for. So definitely go over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up today and join the community and help out the show. Keep it growing. And I thank you so much. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with guests about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of The Offspring, Thrice, Rancid, Rise Against, and more. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Alright guys, I wanted to take a quick minute to tell you guys about our Amazon affiliate link. Our new Amazon affiliate link is peerpleasurepodcast.com slash Amazon. That's going to give us 4% of everything you buy through that link on Amazon and it costs you nothing more than just buying your purchases. And it just gives us 4%, which is awesome. Helps us keep the lights on and we really, really appreciate the continued support. Once again, that Amazon affiliate link, go and bookmark it now, peerpleasurepodcast.com slash Amazon. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another week of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. I am your host, Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you great content every week, week after week. And this week, we have another comedian, Kurt Braunaller. Kurt Braunaller was brought to my attention through a random email for a comedy taping for Comedy Central and it was in Portland here at the Revolution Hall. 
And I signed up for tickets, got the tickets, had never heard of him before. Definitely went on YouTube, started checking it out, and it was pretty hilarious stuff. So my wife and I went to the taping and got great seats, and Kurt was absolutely hilarious, and I've been a fan ever since. So I reached out to Portia Sabin from Kill Rock Stars, who's another Jabberjaw host and always helping out uh, different you know hosts with getting in touch with people. And she actually released Kurt's record uh, through Kill Rock Stars. So I hit her up. She hit Kurt up. He was down to do it. So Kurt and I had an awesome chat uh, talking about everything from comedy to growing up to, uh, you know, his stuff he's doing with TV. He's writing some stuff for television and uh, doing some movie stuff with Judd Apatow. Just a lot of really cool stuff that I had no idea he was doing. So it was a really fascinating chat for me to get involved with and and uh, talk to Kurt. So really appreciate him coming on the show uh, as usual this month. We are debuting a song from Nominee on every episode, and this one is no different. We are going to listen to Prince by Nominee off their album, Drag Me Out, and it is available on iTunes and Spotify. Definitely check them out. Uh, Last week's episode, we played the song Stay, and that was with Dennis Likeson from Refuse. That episode, if you haven't heard it yet, go back and check it out. And uh, so without further ado, let's check out Nominee Prince.
can't sleep So I'll run away From the problems I'm making I can't escape And you ask me to change But if I asked you, would you guys i hope you enjoyed prince by nominee this is the third out of four episodes we're going to be playing songs from them so next week will be the last one but we definitely want you to tune in for that so we are on peerpleasurepodcast.com we are on instagram and twitter we are on adobe radio as you're listening to now more than likely uh, if the conversation does go over an hour you will be able to download it on itunes afterwards and get the full story so kurt braunaller is my guest his new album is called trust me it's a new comedy special it is absolutely hilarious. He does a show called Hot Tub every Monday with Kristen Schaal from Last Man on Earth on NBC. And just an awesome dude. We had a great conversation. So um, definitely go rate and subscribe to the show. Check out the Amazon affiliate link. And without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Kurt Braunauer. <laughs> All right. I, I, if there's a crying in the background all of a sudden, I might have to deal with that. But <laughs> I think she's pretty good right now. Good deal, man. Congratulations on the baby. Thank you very much. That is fantastic. And uh, I guess how, I mean, and welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. I'm just going to start us off. Um, I know your time's limited and, and all that. But uh, right. so... A little backstory, I guess, uh, with Kurt. Um, I had not heard of you until a few months back. I got an email randomly for a uh, a live taping of a comedy special in my email, and I don't even remember where it came from. And I hadn't didn't recognize the name, and I looked it up, and I was like, I replied, and they're like, "Hey, you got tickets." So I took my wife, and we were pretty much crying, laughing. It was amazing, and it was at the Revolution oh, Hall right. in Oregon. It was uh, in Portland. It was the uh, I believe it's called Trust Me, right? Yes. Yeah, the special is called Trust Me. Okay. And it was <laughs> it was absolutely hysterical, dude. And, uh, you know, that was our first live taping for sure. Right. And, uh, you know, um, so from there, uh, ended up, I was doing the podcast already, ended up getting hooked up with Portia Sabin from Kill Rockstars, bringing her onto our network, and uh, saw that that you were working with her and I was like, Hey, Portia, could you get me in touch with Kurt? She's like, sure. So we worked this out and you were going to have a baby like the week after we had contacted each other. So we put it off for a little while, but, um, here we are. So I wanted to, to start things off. 
with how was that special for you? I mean, it was your second special, right? Uh, it's actually my first special, my first hour special. I had done a half hour and a half an album, um, but that was my first hour long special, um, which is, I guess, kind of a, a rite of passage, if you will. Um, and uh, and yeah, I was very I was very happy with it. Um, I yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I, I very rarely want people to watch my stuff <laughs> <laughs> because after it's done, you know, I just want to move on and do the next thing. But I still feel good about it. I'm sure I will change that opinion in a few months. Good, good. And so I want to kind of talk about the special a little bit. I want to, what did you, what all did it entail leading up to something like that? Being your first special did you did you go on tour for you know a period of time beforehand to work out the material, um, and then like up to the day of the show, like what did you what what was that like for you? I mean, I know what it was like for us, you know, going through all the instructions and everything else that they give you. But as the as the comedian, what does that look like? Um, so that is that special side culmination of about two years of um, touring pretty consistently and writing constantly mm -hmm. i um i as a comedian I, you know and i can't speak to to anybody else but i have a real bad batting average when it comes to material i probably write 10 times more material like you know one out of 10 things i write i think lands and works um but i'm just constantly trying stuff out every week at my uh, i have a variety show and it used to be in new york now it's in la called hot tub so just trying the goal is to write you know, five to ten new material, two new minutes of material a week. Sometimes that doesn't uh, happen, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> a lot of times that doesn't happen. But <laughs> that's the goal. And um, so, constantly writing new material there, and then going out on tour with it, pretty much all the time. But leading directly up to that, I probably went on tour for I don't know. I think I did like twenty, twenty or thirty dates. I kind of, I kind of conceived the show for. Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival the year before and it had a much different ending and a lot of the material was different but the idea of it being called Trust Me was kind of originated then mm -hmm. and so then when I brought it to Montreal I think I ran it I don't know 20 21 times in 20 days um, and then just kept reworking it and reworking it and then yeah and then the day of really is uh the day before we do like we did all like there's some there's some stage tricks involved and so we rehearsed the stage trick uh-huh um and then the day of i pretty much just chill out and then go to the theater around 6 p.m okay okay so kind of a relaxing day of the day of the show just kind of let everything else culminate to when you you get on the stage and everything kind of comes back to you yeah because we do two tapings mm -hmm. each an hour long um so it doesn't, you know, at the end of the second taping, you're pretty much exhausted. Yeah. Okay. And do you, are you going to retire all that material then and start fresh like a lot of comedians or? Yep. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm going out on like this big tour. Um, it's like to promote this movie that I'm in called The Big Six. So the tour is me, Ray Romano, Kumail Nanjiani, and uh, A.D. Bryant. And so I might, I might do a few minutes of old material on that tour just because it's like, it's, I just haven't had a chance with the baby and had just having the special come out to, 
to tour with my new material. I have like maybe 25 minutes of new material, but uh, I just haven't had a chance to te- road test it. And so I kind of don't know what would work for a big crowd who's not familiar with me. Uh-huh. So I might, I might, re- I might pull some old gems out. <laughs> but, uh, but ideally, I don't do that. Yeah, that's okay. the ideal. And so it's got to feel good, man. First special under your belt and moving on. I mean, um, you said, so you were, you were in a movie then. I, I did not know this. Uh, you said it's called The Big yeah. Six? It's called The Big Six. Um, it comes out, uh, limited release June 23rd and then July 11th everywhere. It's um, true story, uh, comedy. Uh, Judd Apatow produced it and Michael Showalter directed it. And it's Kumail Nanjiani and his wife, Emily Gordon, wrote it. And... Um, and it's all about them kind of meeting and, and her getting sick. Um, and Holly Hunter and Ray Romano play her parents. Wow. There's some big names in there. That's What was that like? How did you get involved with that? Uh, I'm a, Kumail and Emily, uh, who wrote the movie, are good friends of mine. Okay. And they, um, after they wrote it and they were doing a table read, they said that they had had me in mind for this part that they had written. And, um, and so kind of, they kind of worked it so that I could be at the table read for the movie. Mm -hmm. And so, which is, you know, it was my first table read for anything, (laughs) uh, where I wasn't cast in, you know, that, that Sony pictures, you know, it's, it's Judd Apatow and all these producers and all these famous people are in the audience watching and, uh, I'm sitting next to Ray Romano. So I was essentially shitting my pants. That's insane. And uh, and I read, I read, you know, read the part, and uh, and then they then they actually just did auditions for the part. So I guess uh, <laughs> I guess they they didn't know if they wanted to use me, and they did <laughs> auditions for like a long time, and so I honestly didn't think I had it. And then I think I was in actually in Minneapolis. So I was about to do, I was about to go on stage in Minneapolis at a club there called Acme uh-huh. and uh, Kumail. Kumail and uh, Showalter called me and told me that I had the part. And it's very exciting. And uh, it was in New York for shooting for three weeks. And then I was also the onset writer. So I um, was pitching jokes to Holly Hunter and Kumail and Ray Romano. Pitching jokes to Holly Hunter is a fantastic experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she just stares. She just stares at you. Um, and like that, you know, usually you pitch jokes, people are like, ah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or no, no, no. You know, uh-huh. there's no. No feedback. She just stares very seriously at you while you say jokes to her. And then she like just, and then she goes, okay. And then she just does them and kills you. It's really, really amazing. <laughs> that's fantastic, dude. And that's, uh, I could, I can only imagine. I know, I know of Holly Hunter and her work and I can just picture that room <laughs> just yeah. give you that look. And, uh, man, that's crazy. So you've been, on kind of a whirlwind ride. I mean, it seems like, you know, from what I, I went back through as much as I could, because like I said, like I had not heard of your stuff until recently and then loved it and then started working my way backwards. And that's happened so many times with comedians and things like that to where, you know, I work my way back through the material, but it seems like a lot of the things you're into are things you've done yourself or things you're directly a part of. Um, you know, like, like with hot tub and, and, uh, your podcasts and stuff, what's it like getting kind of thrust into this world where you're working with all these, you know, enormous celebrities? 
Uh, it's great. I love it. I mean, it's really been, it's been, you know, there's like, um, you know, the first day that I was on set writer, I was just so nervous and just trying to keep it cool. Um, and that first day I had like pitch jokes to Ray and to Holly. Um, and so I was really just like, you know, shitting my pants. But then by the end of the day, I was like, oh, okay, I like this. I like this. Um, it's, you know, I think comedy is, um, you just, you, so many comedians that like you all of a sudden hear of, you don't realize that they've been doing it for 15 years. And it's just like that. It's just that another level that all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's like that classic thing. It's like an overnight success, which took 10 years. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm very excited to be working with, yeah, people like Judd and people like Kumail and Ray and, and Holly. Um, it's just a constant hustle. Yeah. I'm just constantly, constantly writing and trying to make the next thing. Um, and uh, I, I love it. I love it. Love the hustle and the 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 you know constant grind. I'm I'm sure that's and now with a family, you know it was you and your wife and now you have the baby and you, the baby. I mean fairly new baby, so you haven't been in it yeah. that long. But how is that grind going? You know on I mean I'm sure you're used to little sleep and you know constantly going and going and going. But how has that changed your life as far as you know having that to worry about now? Well, it's, um, you know, the first month, nobody tells you this, but the first month of having a baby is real fucking dark. It's <laughs> real dark. It's like it, you're just exhausted and you're so nervous all the time that this animal that you are in, entrusted with is going to die. And you just don't know what's normal and what's not normal. So everything seems alarming. And you don't, you're not sleeping. And so it's really, it's like not a fun time that first month. But then right around like four weeks, we kind of like locked into a rhythm. And now it's like, I love it. You know, I think it's the best. It's just, um, you know, what's, what's good about it is that my wife and I, uh, are writing, we're writing two separate shows right now together. Uh And so a lot of our work is at home. Um, where we can essentially uh, block out, you know, a bunch of hours, and then if the baby interrupts, it's okay because then we can just push our work time back when we can get the baby to go back down. Mm-hmm. So we're just ha- we're very lucky, and also we like kind of set it up that way because I was before this I was kind of con- making my living by constantly touring, and so I was out of town all the time. And so then when she was pregnant, we just kind of put all of our efforts into um, selling some shows. Um, so that we could, uh, you know, so that we could, so I could be in LA and mm-hmm. with the baby and with her. Okay. And so, yeah, we were just ha- lucky enough that we sold two things in development. That's awesome. And so, and can you talk about either of those things? Or are they still in really in infancy stage? Um, um for what you're yeah, right. Are they like sitcoms? I, are they, I don't want to talk too much about them. And that's not because I'm under contract or uh-huh. something only because. I um, I get um, uh, what's the word? Not suspicious, but uh, superstitious. I get oh, superstitious gotcha. about that stuff. Okay. Um, but I can tell you that one is about um, it stars my wife and I, and it's about kind of uh, having a baby. The first season's all about a pregnancy. Okay. Um, 
And then another one is kind of a, it's more of an anthology that's a lot weirder. It, it's, it's for late night. Um, and uh, it's, it's a, more of a short form, and it's like much more absurd and whimsical. Okay. That's, I mean, and that's going to draw a huge audience with the, the, you know, anything to do with marriage and having kids that's so relatable, um, you know, right off the bat to so many people. I think that's going to be awesome because <laughs> that's, I mean, I have three kids and, and, uh, like you said that first month, I absolutely agree with you there. The darkness, <laughs> especially, yeah, you know, no, and nobody tells you about it. And I also think that like, uh, something about the lack of sleep may makes it so that your brain doesn't lock those memories in. Mm-hmm. So that when you talk to people, they're like, yeah, it's fine. You'll be fine. It's <laughs> like, oh, no, you just act like your brain purposely didn't remember the horror that was those first 30 days. Yeah. It's like the nature's version of that men in black more... pen. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, guys, as you uh, may know, I'm a comedian, uh, which means that I have had a lot of other jobs uh, <laughs> that I am terrible at. <laughs> However, uh, have you ever met someone who is so bad at their job that they actually go all the way around to being like a genius at doing the opposite of their job. <laughs> uh, I was recently in a restaurant and I had a waitress and I waited tables for many years. I know it's a tough job, but this was as if she had never been in a restaurant before in her life. And actually, that's actually too kind. It's more like uh, she had just landed in a spaceship from outer space, and the first structure she happened to walk into was a restaurant, and they're like, here's a job, and she's like, what are words? <laughs> because we ordered uh, two Bloody Marys in an empty restaurant, uh, and after 20 minutes, she comes out with two drinks, and uh, one was pink, and one was brown. <laughs> And we were simply confused. And I said, "Um, why are those two different colors? And she just went. (laughs) And disappeared inside. Was gone for 10 minutes and then came out with them unchanged. and put them on the table. I was like, what happened in there? Did she just like walk into a kitchen full of like 16 foot tall ants from outer space? And she's like, and they're all like, just flipping through Encyclopedia Britannica's and watching old episodes of I Love Lucy, trying to figure out what the heck humans do in restaurants these days. And I honestly expect her to come back to the the table and be like, "Uh, what can I get for you, sir? And what can I get for you? And then go to the flower in the middle of the table and what will you be having, sir? And we'll be like, what? And she'd be like, never mind. (laughs) Fly away. Uh, I was, I'll be honest with you guys, I've just been uh, real into tubing lately. Just love to tube and I was on tour recently, I wanted to go tubing, uh, but I couldn't find a place to rent a tube, but I could find a place to rent a canoe. And uh, it's surprisingly easy to rent a canoe when you've never canoed before. (laughs) You just pay a man $12, he throws a canoe on the ground and drives away. And I realized that canoeing is only fun with a friend. (laughs) 
because the only thing to do when you're canoeing is like canoe up to like a rope swing and swing on the rope or go to a cliff and jump off of it. But every time I canoed up to one of those things, there was already a family doing that thing. So then it was just me, man in canoe by myself, just predator paddling up. Like, hey family, can I get wet with you? And when you canoe by yourself, you sit in the back of the canoe, and so the front of the canoe kind of pokes up out of the water. So it just looks like a boner hunting for families. <laughs> and on that trip, uh, I had rented a car that had satellite radio, and I uh, found out I love satellite radio. I love it because every channel is so specific. It's just for like five people. And there's one, there's one channel called The Pulse. And I think the pitch for that channel was like, hey, when people ask you, what kind of music do you like? You say, oh, I like all kinds of music, but also you stopped listening to music in 2004? Well, here's some Britney. <laughs> and there's one channel that's just the Grateful Dead. Another channel, just Bruce Springsteen. And then another channel called Margaritaville, which is supposed to be only Jimmy Buffett. But Buffett doesn't have a deep enough discography to support 24-7 play. So they're just like, if you like Buffett, maybe you like this crap. I don't know. Like, hey, are you an old white man who went to the Bahamas once and loves island culture, but would prefer to not think about the post-colonial segregation and exploitation of a native population and instead want to focus on the burgers? Well, here's some eagles. That's incredible. And, and so now things are, you're in a groove now. You're able to work from home. You're pitching these new shows. Well, you've pitched these shows. You're writing them now. I mean, going back, you've had, you've had a pretty, like, you've been doing comedy a long time. I mean, how did you get into comedy? I, uh, I moved to New York City mm -hmm. uh, from Baltimore. Uh, when uh, when I was 22, 1998. Okay. And uh, I had good friends, John Bailey and Brett Gelman and this dude, Vadim Newquist, who they had signed up for uh, an improv class at this place called UCB. And um, it was right when Upright Citizens Brigade had just opened their theater, their first theater on 21st Street in New York City. And I saw their, um, went and saw their graduation performance and was really blown away by a long-form improv, and so I immediately took a class, and uh, Amy Poehler was my uh, my level three teacher, um, and uh, and then I just kind of like started improvising, and then, and then for a really long time, for about eight years, I only improvised, and I refused to write like an idiot, because I just believed in the purity of improv, and then I realized that I can't make a fucking living with the purity of improv, that I had to have a day job for eight years while doing comedy, like, you know, doing five shows a week, um, but also still having a day job. And I was like, this cannot stand, I cannot do this anymore. And so uh, I started, wanted to start a, uh, a variety show. And I was at the space called The Pit in New York City. And uh, I asked the artistic director, uh, hey, I want to start a variety show. And he's like, you know, Kristen Shaw just asked me the same thing. And I had never really spoken to Kristen. Uh, we seen each other perform on stage, and I knew she was backstage at the time. And I just walked right backstage and, like, yelled across backstage, like, hey, you want to start a variety show with me? And she was like, okay. <laughs> and then, and now 12 years later, we, we still do it every every Monday night. 
That's incredible. <laughs> it's like the awkward kid walking up. Hey, you want to go to the dance with me? Just, just throw it yeah. out there, man. Exactly. Wow. So you guys have been doing that that long, and it, so you guys have become pretty close, I'm sure, over this amount of time. And and uh, I mean, that's a long time to be doing the same thing, and and you know, but I'm sure it's helping you, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, be creative and 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 having that pressure to get something done, you know, every single week. I mean, week. yeah, that's. That's the main. That's the main reason. Some people would say, "Why haven't you moved on past the the the, the, the weekly variety show?" But I really, I love it um, because it is that every week there's a deadline, mm-hmm. um, and that's how. That's just how I work. I need a deadline, and um, and it's not to say that I make new material every single week. I try. I try, but trying really is, I think, fifty percent of it. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have something holding you accountable, you know, especially in a in a, a field like comedy where it's easy, I'm sure. Not I guess easy is the wrong word, but but entertainment where you know, it's easy to kind of push something to the side and forget about it or like, "Oh, I'm not going to work on that tonight." Or, you know, it's not like exactly. you have to be there from 8 to 5. Yeah. So, having that engagement and and having someone else like Kristen to keep you accountable to, "Hey, we got to get this done for Monday." You know, um has it become exactly. easier over time, or is it still a challenge? Oh, man, it goes in waves. It really goes in waves. I, I, I wish I could say it's gotten easier, but you know what? Here's what here's what it hasn't gotten easier, but what has gotten better is that I've learned techniques. I've learned more techniques now um, because um, inspiration almost never strikes. Mm-hmm. Um and for when it does, I, I you know I'm always ready to take a note or something like that. Um, but that's very few and far between where you're just like, oh, here's this fully formed bit that I had in mind. So it's you know I just found different types of techniques to like get started, you know, mm-hmm. writing or to get just a little bit of something, and it's just kind of this idea of of really just rolling with something and not allowing your mind to shut possibilities down before you've kind of explored them a little bit okay um but yeah i mean it's 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 things from as stupid as um moving positions and standing and writing Mm -hmm. uh to i have this there's this little box of cards that uh brian eno um and his buddy wrote in the 70s called oblique strategies Uh and on each card is just like essentially some fucking gibberish um, that's supposed to like inspire you or like help you around creative blocks. Uh huh. Um, but a lot of them are just like, uh, flip it over. Like it's, they're really just like, it's gibberish. <laughs> uh, but I like, I'll flip through it. I'll flip through a card and find a card and then just try to write inspired by that. Um, I also take notes constantly when I think of something funny. Um, Twitter is sometimes helpful for that because you can just kind of like jot off a quick joke and then expand on it later. Mm hmm. Okay. And so and a lot of your comedy seems like it's drawn from real experiences, whereas a lot of comedians, I think, kind of make shit up as far as, you know, like uh, I think Louis has that line where he's like, yeah, it was, this happened at a bar and I uh, can't remember the name. It doesn't really matter because it, it wasn't real <laughs> or something like that in the joke. A lot of yours seem to be like drawn from actual experiences. And is that something that, that you do or do you do you, I guess, embellish more? 
or do you kind of take a little bit of something and, and work it into something that's more made up? I think ideally kind of the best joke would be where it's based on a story that happened to you, but you have all these kind of tangents that are about, that are jokes about ideas that mm-hmm. are contained within the thing. I think that's, that's kind of my, that's my goal for a, a nice, a good joke. Um, but yeah, I, I write for my life a lot and that not, didn't used to be the case. I think if you listen to my, my, my album, most of it's just jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like one, there's one thing that's taken from like my life and it's like eight minutes out of 55 or whatever. That's actually like, here's something that happened to me. Uh-huh. And the whole rest of it is just like joke, joke. And I think that that's common. Um, when you start comedy because a lot of the beginning part of comedy is like learning how to write a joke um, and how to make it work on stage and then once you like once you kind of have done that for a while I think you want to I think the I think the everybody's um, impulse or instinct is to somehow make it more personal and, and more I don't know have a reason for existence, have a point, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean that, and and one I'm talking in particular was from that special was the, the canoe story (laughs) where that was, did that, that actually happen? Like that was a real story. Oh yeah, totally. Oh my God. I I was in Tennessee. I was, I think going from, I was doing a tour in the South. And uh, I didn't have a show in Memphis, so I don't know where. I was driving through Memphis, so it was, it was two places. I was, like, from Nashville to some, I don't know. Uh-huh. Anyway, I was in Tennessee in the middle of fucking nowhere, and I really wanted to go tubing, but I uh, couldn't find a place to rent a tube, but, but I did rent a canoe, and it was, it was real, real sad and boring by yourself. <laughs> but that day, that night, after I did the canoeing, I stayed at um, Loretta Lynn's Dude Ranch. What? Which is awesome. It's in fucking the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, and it's Loretta, it was a Loretta Lynn's uh, uh, home that she bought after she kind of like had a little bit of money. Uh-huh. Um, it's this beautiful, huge piece of property, and there's cabins that you can stay on there, and uh, and then they host events. And so when I was there, like a motocross event was happening. <laughs> it was all these fucking weirdo motocross people, uh-huh. like in campers and stuff. But you can, like, go swimming in this beautiful lake that's, like, right out that looks over her house. And uh, it's pretty awesome. That's incredible, man. You've seen some cool stuff. I mean, on tour for you, is, is your schedule pretty tight? Or do you try to see what you can as you're traveling around? Or I, mean, I guess you do a lot of fly-ins. Because I, I come from the music world, so, like, touring musicians. So it was either van or bus, and you see nothing except, unless it's out the window. And then you're at a club, and you're there for the duration. With comedy... Do you do a lot of fly-in dates, or do you kind of you know drive yourself places? Or it depends, really. Um, a very common setup will be you fly to a city on Thursday, and then you do a club. So you do one show Thursday night, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, and you fly out on Sunday. Uh huh. That's pretty common. I've been trying to move away from that model um, because what I prefer to do is set up five like five or six shows in five or six drivable cities mm-hmm. in a row 
and then just do the show and then drive to the next place. And th- those will be at like rock venues primarily. Okay. I much prefer that. I love that. I'm like slightly pregnant. <laughs> like my belly used to be uh, private, but now it went public. And like this is its opening bell. <laughs> it's just like, here I am. I, but I've always kind of had a belly like my whole life. Uh, I've always had what I call a Todd bod, um, which means that if you saw me naked, I would look exactly like a six foot four toddler. Just no muscle definition, a round white belly, and I love to poop my pants. And, and so I've been trying to jog, but I don't want to jog in circles. So I like to run two places. Like if I need to run, I'll literally run an errand. I'll run there. And uh, so the other day I was running to the dildo store and I needed to buy a dildo for a sketch I was writing. So this is a comedy dildo, not a sex dildo, which means it's much larger, okay? And I was buying a double dong. Um, You guys know what that is, right? It's got a bing bong on both sides. All right. Oh, interesting fact about a double-ended dildo is that the original purpose of a double-ended dildo was to give the appearance that you had just eaten a man with your butt, but you hadn't finished his dick yet. So I'm running to the dildo store, and I get this big double-ended dildo, it's purple, and I bring it up to the cash register, and I pay for it, and then I'm like, I have to run home with this thing. And I take it out of its packaging, and it's, it's just really jimbly-jambly. Like, it's just got a lot of potential energy to it. And so I fold it in half and shove it in a black plastic bag, and then I start to run home with it. This has never happened before or since, but I completely ate it. Like, I fell on my face. I fell down hard. And this is noon on a Tuesday in a West Village. A lot of people around. And when strangers see a big person fall, it's alarming. And then, when a double-ended dildo explodes out of a bag, everyone's like, (gasps) (gasps) like, help this man! Oh no, get away from this man! Everyone ignores me. That dildo works all its kinetic energy out on the sidewalk next to my head. And it's humiliating. Now, here's where the story gets weird. About three weeks after I decided to tell that story on stage, first time I'd ever told that story, I woke up one morning and I had recorded a voice memo for myself in my sleep of which I had no memory of. I had never done that before, but I woke up and I was like, what, is, what, what is this? And this is what it was. For a double-ended dildo, it's, it's all about saying I ate a whole man. I just let his dick stick out the back as a warning to other people. I dreamed that. And then thought, I should let Kurt know about this. That's, that never had happened to me before. 
And then like, like a few weeks later, it actually happened again. And I woke up and I had left another voice memo in my sleep. I was like, oh my God, another gift from my unconscious. And this is what it was. The most unbelievable thing about Ghostbusters is how much power the EPA has. That's true! The EPA can't efficiently shut down businesses. And then it happened like three days later, and this is the last one. I think the best way to never forget is to name your dog 9 11. That's true, too. I'm going to name my next dog 9-11 after uh, December 7th, 1941 dies. I'm the only one doing Pearl Harbor jokes, motherfucker. Okay. That's something I just had Emily Heller on the show and her episode comes out this week and and I asked her kind of the same thing and and kind of how comedy turned towards rock venues when I I remember that Comedians of Comedy came out with Patton and those guys and it just made so much sense. And then David Cross did that DVD about, you know, just going to strictly rock clubs and bringing a band with him on tour. And it made yeah. so much sense because there's so much commonality there where between, you know, music fans and comedy fans and everyone's one and the same. Um, you know, I'm glad to see that continuing on. And, and do you, I know it's probably a lot more comfortable for you to do that than, you know, some actual comedy club where, you know, there's a drink minimum and, and, uh, you know, everyone got free tickets or, you know, like, right. um, there's a couple of those in Portland and that's when I saw that that special was at Revolution Hall which is an old high school it's Washington High School it was a high school auditorium which was amazing and then Brian Posehn did his special there like a month later um yeah and I love that place yeah it's fantastic and they totally you know gutted the place and I mean there's still like the lockers and everything in the same same chairs and everything else but you know these rock have you done Mississippi Studios in in Portland yet that's where I recorded my album. Okay, perfect. Because that's a and Ray, my buddy, runs both those places. Um, and you know, I love seeing the variety coming through these clubs and and uh, uh, you know, tying those things together is important. I think because it's it's just really gonna you know boost comedy. I think quite a bit. And and uh, you know, so going back a little bit. With your with your your childhood growing up, um, you know, did you have a good childhood, or did you have you know things that happened that maybe comedy came naturally to you to escape something or or anything like that, or did would you say you had a good childhood? because my mom was really um, a pretty amazing woman. Um, so she raised me on her own. Um, my parents got divorced when I was two, and my mom and I moved to um, to uh, Neptune, New Jersey, 
right next to Asbury Park. We were in Asbury Park for a little while. Go Bruce. Uh-huh. And, um, and so my mom was just so wonderful and great. Um, I did have, I did like have to visit my dad. My dad has five, my dad has eight kids from four different women. And so it's a real weird family wow. thing going on on that side. And so I would like visit with my dad a lot and that caused some stress and some strain. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, uh, I was very happy at home. Um, school, I could take or leave. Uh, there was like, uh, I had like my friends, there would be like three or four guys. And then pretty much everyone else was just like, uh, didn't matter to me. And also they didn't like me. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, I wasn't an outcast, but I also wasn't, uh, didn't have a ton of friends. Um, okay. It was just like a tight knit group. And then, in, and then in high school, I did theater, and yeah, just did theater. <laughs> so, so it, people like anybody. So you had some trouble making friends and things like that, or was it more? Did you did you just kind of perceive that people are you know don't like you, or? Um... It was more honestly. It was more of a class thing because we lived in Neptune, and I and I went to. Catholic high schools, or Catholic grammar school and Catholic high school, um, both in kind of ritzier towns, and um, I was kind of like the poor kid, and I remember in sixth grade, I got uh, really into skating, and uh, got like my hair cut, and that like classic skater cut, which is like shaved all around the uh, side, uh-huh. and long in the front, you know, and, uh, and pretty much was like, this is the coolest haircut. I could ever have gotten in my entire life. And then I walked into school the next day and was like, just was, was destroyed. They, they just could not, they, everyone just railed against me. Cause it was just like this preppy, you know, Catholic school. And so I think that was my main, that was like the beginning of the split where I was like, you have your preppy shit and uh, go fuck yourself. And so I kind of always had a chip on my shoulder after that. Sure. Sure. Did you get in many fights or anything like that, or were you more of a, a pacifist that way? I got into one fight, and it was, it was a guy who I liked, um, and it was set up by an older kid. I guess I think we were 12, and he was just like, you guys are going to fight, and I was like, I don't want to. But the other kid was like, yeah, we'll do it, because they were buddies. He wanted to look cool in front of the older kid. And then he just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, I definitely... Yeah, I just was. I definitely got my ass handed to me. It was set up was by someone else. <laughs> it was set up by the sixteen-year-old who was like, he he really. Everyone said he did steroids, and I believed it because he was just. He had a full. He was sixteen. He had a giant red beard. <laughs> he was jacked. He was huge, like with these great, crazy big muscles everywhere. Uh huh. Um, and uh, and I think he just honestly was like had extra testosterone from his steroid use so he just wanted to see younger kids fight each other wow i wonder where he is now (laughs) yeah no shit (laughs) he may have gotten his roots down in something that made him a lot of money as well or completely got him in jail yeah he's in jail in neptune new jersey that's outrageous wow and that's i remember that haircut man that that shaved up underneath like I think some people took it a step further, and I think that was the first, uh, the origin of the man bun, back when they used to do the same, like the ponytail in the back, when it was yeah. shaved up the sides, or you could lay it down, you know. Yeah. Oh my God, 
that brings back some memories. <laughs> well, so with all this stuff going on, I mean, it's kind of interesting how things kind of changed around from from being, you know, uh, somewhat awkward and, and kind of like a chip on your shoulder to getting into comedy and, and uh, you know, making people laugh and being kind of the popular guy in the room or the, or the guy people came to see. I mean, how does that feel for you as far as, um, you know, as you're becoming more successful, um, do you look at it as kind of like, you know, I made it kind of thing, or do you, do you even think about that as far as, um, you know, look at me now kind of thing, uh, kind of in the back of your mind, I guess, or maybe a little bit of a inkling of that, you know, like, fuck you, high school, fuck you, you know, red beard, you bastard. <laughs> no, I definitely have a chip on my shoulder, I would think. Um, and, but, and also it's like the... I think live performance, at least at the level that I am at, which is that I, you know, I know exactly what my draw is. So <laughs> <laughs> reminded all the time that nobody really knows who the fuck I am, and so it keeps. And when you do clubs, um, these are people are possibly not even comedy fans, but were merely a comedy club was just something they thought of to do on a night out. Mm -hmm. Um, and so performing for those people, it's very much, I am, I am an unknown element and I, it's, you always feel like you're kind of proving yourself, you know? Sure. I look forward. I look forward to the days when I, I get to go and, and just roll in to a rock club and it's sold out and uh, and everybody knows who I am. But uh, we are we are not there yet. <laughs> well, it's getting there. I mean, with all this stuff you got going on, I mean, you got movies going on, you got a comedy special now, you've got, you know, and so many things are in the right place to start, you know, building on, you know, and this far into your career, I mean, it's got to feel great. Fingers crossed. You just got to keep hustling. You can't ever rest. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and it's not like you're going to get any anyways with the new baby, you know? That's just crazy. Baby now. I got to pay I gotta money for this baby. <laughs> this baby isn't going to pay for itself. Man. I need to get paid. <laughs> Well, that's awesome, Kurt. Dude, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man, and taking your time and and uh, chatting with me today. And it's been a blast. And I've I've just loved chatting with you know different comedians and and uh, people. I do a lot of musicians as well, so it's nice to change it up and and have a good conversation with someone that you know I find hilarious and talented. And and uh, really appreciate you coming on, man. Have a good one. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Kurt Braunahler. His new special is called Trust Me, and it is absolutely hilarious. I was there live for the taping and have been a fan ever since. Definitely check out Hot Tub with Kurt and Kristen Shaw. And definitely check out, he's also got a podcast called The K-Hole on iTunes. So definitely go check that out. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, him and his wife do some stuff on there. It's, it's a good time. I think you'll all enjoy it. So we are on the PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter. Definitely check us out on there. Rate and subscribe to the show on iTunes. We could really use, uh, you know, your your feedback. Uh, peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is my email. 
If you have guest ideas, comments, concerns, anything like that, want to reach out, say, hey, show sucks, hey, the show's awesome, definitely do so, like the feedback. So definitely check us out on, uh, on social media. Check us out on Adobe as you're doing every week if you're not already. And the full version is up on iTunes every single Saturday. So definitely check us out on there. And like I said before, rate and subscribe. And as usual, we will see you on the radio. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with guests about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of The Offspring, Thrice, Rancid, Rise Against, and more. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com.